War Eagle Auburn fans, welcome to Inside the Jungle, your source for Auburn men's basketball analysis and discussion, part of the ETC Network, a family of podcasts covering Auburn athletics. Brought to you by the Auburn Baptist Campus Ministry, serving Auburn students since 1961, and also the Auburn Uniform Database. Visit them at auburnuniforms.com. Well, welcome back to a edition that is a very somber one of Inside the Jungle. We are going to be breaking down uh, not the end of the actual NCAA tournament, but Auburn's end of their run in it, and not in a fun fashion. Uh, to break down uh, analysis of the two games we did play in, or at least showed up in, um, <laughs> I brought along Clint Richardson of the Auburn Uniform Database and our content manager for the site. Um Clint, I don't know how we're going to get through this one tonight. Uh, can we just erase last night's game? I would love to erase. I would love to erase a lot of things. The last couple of games of the season, both of these games, I'd like to just pretend that they never happened. Um, there's some very strong feelings out there right now uh, for what happened in this game, especially mine. There's a reason that we're recording this a day later than we probably normally would have because as you know Clint I was inconsolable for a while <laughs> I I got to the point of just troll everybody and troll everything um you know I, I've been through so many bad basketball and football and baseball games that it's for me it's it's just there's a snapping point and I just go loopy um I remember, uh, what was it, two years ago when Ben Simmons was on LSU and we're hosting them in the arena, and the the manager for the concession stands just handed me, like, six boxes of popcorn, and I didn't know what to do with it, so I just started tossing it in the air. It's like, what else is there to do? This game's <laughs> over. So, I, you know, you were livid. I couldn't even get a word out of you. Uh, like I kind of wanted re- to record last night just because it would have been funny, but you were just too pissed off to even consider it. Uh, if you thought that was bad, the things that I was saying to you via group messages, you should have been here for Jessica. She needed someone to help calm me down. I just, after every single possession, I just I lost <clears throat> it. Um, I, I went numb. I, mean, I wish I had gone that's numb. That's the simple truth of it. At, at some point, you just... I just went numb, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wish I had that had happened to me because it would have been a, a lot better appearance on my part, at least in front of my wife. Um, so we're obviously going to talk about that game probably in great detail and implications behind it, how we got to this point, but we do want to kind of take a step back 
and look at the tournament as a whole, what has happened right now, because it's been a very interesting one. And then obviously take a more dissected look at Auburn's two games with the College of Charleston and with Clemson. Um, Also, I want to take a step back and remind people that we do try our hardest to remain positive about Auburn athletics because we know how negative this space of discussion can be when it comes to college athletics. But let's just be, there is not a lot of positive things to take from this. Um, So we're no, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) But Kyle's going to be negative Nancy tonight, I think. Yeah, uh, it's it's probably... I try not to be that way, but tonight I think I'm going to be because I have a little bit of different perspective than most people on this as a former college basketball player. And uh, it's just, it, it's it's very, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But let's take a step back, Clint, and talk about the NCAA tournament as a whole right now, which I thought personally has been one of the wildest and craziest that we've had in quite some time. Yeah, you know, when Selection Sunday hit, I thought this was, a miss on the selection committee. I thought that there were some bad matchups, bad team selections and here and there. And, you know, overall it wasn't the best bracket. Um, but I would say by the result of the 10 million plus brackets filled on, on ESPN.com, this is a pretty decent tournament. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we saw your guys Creighton just, crumble (laughs) you can't trust them and i did um i mean there's just there's not one storyline that you can discuss in the tournament to this point and that i think that's a really strong point of this tournament number one overall seed falling to a 16 seed arizona falling to buffalo tennessee to the loyola chicago people and Nevada coming back from 22 down in 11 minutes to beat Cincinnati. Um, let's see what else. Marshall pulling out the 13 to four win over Wichita State. Um, <clears throat> gosh, I don't even know. Um, Syracuse. I mean, where these guys come from? Have I mean, play, seriously. Ha- play in to the tournament, come through and beat TCU and the three seed Michigan State. Um, Texas A&M upsetting North Carolina. Uh, the amazing shot that Michigan had to win the game over Houston. Um, and then last night, just my final go-to team to cheer for and a team that I had a shirt in the closet that I could put on and rep, Xavier falling to Florida State, again, down by double digits and coming back to win. So it's... It's been a heck of a tournament to watch. Um, you know, it, it's there's a reason that people set up four different TVs to watch all these games. And if you are just a fan of parody, this has been the year to watch. We <laughs> always far. see we see tons of you know upsets in these tournaments because it's just bound to happen with the amount of teams. But we have not seen this amount of craziness in quite some time. And I I think if you want to just pinpoint how crazy it's been, you need to look no further than the South region, where in the Sweet 16, you have a perennial power at the number five seed in Kentucky there. But outside of that, you have the number nine seed in Kansas State. 
You have Loyola Chicago, the number 11 seed, and Nevada, which I predicted. I will say that's the one thing I've gotten right in this tournament as far as, you know, you know <laughs> sleeper picks making it. So your highest seed making it to the Sweet 16 out of that region is number five Kentucky, which is not a Kentucky team that we are used to. They're good, but they're not what we've been accustomed to. Just looking at that region with UMBC taking down the first 16 seed to take down number one, Nevada having the run, they're having Loyola, Chicago, Buffalo. I mean, what craziness there. This region has been my most fun one to pay attention to. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, when the highest seed moving on to the Sweet 16 is a or the, the lowest seed is a five. And, I mean, you just look at it. I I said it last week that Virginia will not be tested until the Elite Eight, and they bail out losing by 20 in the first game. Um, Kentucky's performed better than I think a lot of people thought they would. Um, Loyola Chicago with two fantastic wins over Miami and a buzzer I guess there was, what, 3.5 seconds left when they beat Tennessee. And <clears throat> I once Virginia was out, I thought Cincinnati had a great run, great opportunity to make a run, and they let a big lead slip away to Nevada. And, you know, you've got a 5-9 matchup in Kentucky-K-State. Kansas State's been playing really well. That's going to be interesting. And then an 11-7 Nevada-Loyola. I mean, you can't really go wrong picking either team there just to pull for. So that Elite Eight matchup to win the South Regional is going to be a very interesting um, couple of games to watch. So two questions I want to get from you in perspective of this tournament, Clint. If someone asked you the 2018 NCAA tournament, that March Madness. What is the story so far for you? Like, if you had to say this is what happened and this is why I remember this tournament, what would it be? <laughs> what else is it going to be? It's the first time ever that a 16 seed has won a game in the tournament outside of the very silly play-in game. And what? to not down... I mean, there's been... I think there were 134 116 matchups, and it took this long before... A one seed just got beat. I mean, we, we've seen 16 seeds play their hearts out and just get stepped on at the last couple of minutes. But Virginia got destroyed. They got beat by 20, and it was a hammering the entire game. This isn't just a no-name team that got overlooked by a top team and, and won on a buzzer beater. It's, I mean, Virginia couldn't do anything right against a team that barely made it into the tournament they got beat by albany by 30 just a month ago and you know it's it's march it's madness and uh it's magic when a team like umbc makes a run and just the the marketing aspect of it for me has just been such a joy to watch you've got this twitter account who going into the tournament had like six or seven thousand followers and after the Virginia game and after a couple of other days, they were up to 80,000 followers. And just the amount of exposure this is going to do for a school like that. Um, I mean, one of the final tweets from their tournament run was, great game, Kansas State. What a season for the Retrievers. Hey, if you want to apply, go here. 
like UMBC is now a national name. Uh, there's going to be a ton of T-shirts that you from people that you that you know have never even heard of this school, and that that's just a really cool thing in what this tournament can do for these smaller schools. Yeah, and, and not to be outdone, you still have the likes of Loyola Chicago there. Um, they're trying to make their case as the top story, but I would agree with you, and it was kind of a softball for, question for you. UMBC is the mark of this tournament and how crazy it has been. And what I want to ask you is there's been a lot of hyperbole around this as well. The headline you keep seeing is this is the greatest upset of all time in any sporting event ever. Do you agree with that, Clint? <sighs> I, I, I hate the greatest of all time GOAT discussions because there's so many different variables. It's hard to compare Tiger Woods to Jack Nicklaus or um, Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Maybe that less so. But there's so many variables. The game is so different from decade to decade and from sport to sport. The pure standard of it puts it in that list of a 16 to 1 the first time ever a 20 point drumming it's in the discussion um you know you have a lot of older fans who are still saying the miracle on ice is by far the greatest um upset ever for implications for the game the country the olympics in general and Something that's always forgotten in that is that wasn't even for the gold medal. I think that was to play in the gold medal match. Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, it's just stuff like that. These storylines get lost in the history, and the great moments are always great. Um, I think it's kind of a losing battle and not a very smart argument to get into of this is the best thing that's ever happened. This is the best athlete to ever live it's it's so hard to define that and even if we had a fair breakdown and bracket and whatever for it it's it's still going to be controversial so it's it's in the list and it's going to be fun to have that debate if for those who actually want to have it <laughs> yeah who actually wants to tackle that one i think that's a fair assessment of that um question clint i think that if you take a very broad sports athletics wide approach to this you can have the conversation but you i don't think you're ever going to be able to settle it because might i add you know the 2013 iron bowl would probably be in that discussion too <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I digress a little bit i mean that that was a that was what a one versus six and with a championship on the line implications it might not be on that list but i i think it's very easy to say umbc belongs in that discussion Yes. If now, you want to, if you want to rank them, have at it. But that's yeah. that's not on me. <laughs> yeah, I think if, though, if you want to make this more of a NCAA tournament history, NCAA basketball history discussion, you can make a better case there because this has I, never. I would agree with that. This has never happened before, and to be honest, for my brackets of the future's sake, I hope it never happens again because <laughs> I will never ever do good again in that case. But and this is why you never pull for your bracket always pull for enjoyment of the tournament i mean your odds of even having a very good bracket are so low why would you let a random computer pick ruin your enjoyment of this tournament oh 
and it hasn't for me. I'm enjoying every second of this, and I'm honestly enjoying watching my bracket fall apart. Uh, I agree with you. Just to kind of wrap up our discussion on it, that the last straw for me was the Xavier loss. That was my champion. That one hurt. That, that was my hurt. championship game there. Um, they weren't my champion, but um, I had everything <laughs> intact until that moment. <laughs> And then it just like it was like, well, this is the greatest cap after one of the worst Auburn basketball games I've ever watched. Then my Final Four, my championship game falls apart. So this how is just, how is your Final Four looking right now? Because uh, my Final Four, I, I only have one team standing. Well, because I know one of your teams who they were, and after what we saw last <laughs> night, I won't embarrass you that much, Clint. Uh, Clint, I am now sitting with only one Final Four member as well. Uh, with, yeah, with Villanova as my champion. Villanova, Auburn, <laughs> reaching a little bit on that one. Uh, Xavier and Virginia, and who would have thought that my pit for the national champion would have been a longer shot than Auburn in the Final Four? <laughs> uh, yeah, my picks were um, Villanova, Virginia, Michigan State, and Xavier. My two rules that I always live by. Again, this is continue with the storyline of this tournament is just one for the ages. You never count out Tom Izzo for the Sweet 16, and you never, ever count on Gonzaga, and both of those proved to be incorrect. <laughs> so. Yeah, can we count out Tom Izzo now? No, this is I'm telling you, this is just an anomaly. I mean, a 16 <laughs> seed beat a one. You can't predict this kind of stuff. It'll never happen again. <laughs> and, and there goes Gonzaga. So. And there they go. That, um, was, that was a hard game to pull for either team it's gonzaga the four seed and the five seed ohio state i couldn't find myself pulling or caring for either of those two teams to win oh i completely agree it's because gonzaga has burned me so much in the past so you know that's part of it for me (laughs) um but yeah that's our kind of impressions of the ncaa tournament as a whole um we'll obviously maybe talk a little bit more about sweet 16 and beyond when we wrap up auburn basketball season unless something happens in the meantime we come back before that but um, right now, I do want us to discuss as much as we can, as much as we can stomach, um, these two games for the Auburn Tigers. For the first time in 15 years, Auburn goes to the big dance as a four seed, a little bit lower than we had hoped and thought we might end up. Um, we were at times in the discussions for a one pretty solidly at a two for a long time, and even in a three, it and just kept getting worse and worse after the Amferty McLemore. Uh, discussion. So, like I said, Clint, I want us to be somewhat positive, but we do need to face the reality of it. And the question I have to start off with you is the collapse that uh, – uh, let me back up there. The problems that you saw happen since the Anthony McLemore injury, is this the worst collapse that you've seen of Auburn basketball since you've been watching? I think that's easy because there's been no success in Auburn basketball since I've been watching. Um, You know, I feel like you might be able to look back at the 2008 uh, NIT tournament and losing to eventual champion Baylor and even the 99 and 2003 tournaments of not finishing very well and, um, You know, you could you could go with the '85 tournament, '84 or '85, with Charles Barkley and losing to Richmond in the first round, and you know, it. I, I think yes, in recent history, this is the worst quote unquote collapse. Um, you know, it wasn't fireworks and you know a train wreck kind of thing, but it just wasn't really pretty to watch, and it. 
at times, especially with that final game last night, it, it looked like Auburn had reverted to times of old and seasons of old. And, you know, it's when you watched this team go out and win 26 games, that eighth loss on the season really hurt more so in the way it was done. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I always say I'm not terribly upset with losing. Um, you know, I, I despise losing as much as anybody else, but it's more so the way it happens that really sticks with me. And that's what's really sticking with me with this Clemson loss, a really bad showing of effort, of teamwork and, uh, just team unity and, you know, probably a lack of respect for teammates. And that's, that was the most upsetting part of it from the team side. Yeah, and you thought this team would just be so hyped and so excited to be there, and I'm sure they were on the surface, but at times their performance and their effort didn't show that. You look at, to start off with, the Charleston Cougars taking on the Tigers in that first-round matchup. Auburn ends up winning 62-58. to We were tied at the half 25-25. I am not used to this low of scoring in an Auburn basketball game. In a half and overall, it's been something that we have uh, just not gotten accustomed to. And the thing that I remember from this game the most is that it seemed like Auburn would get out to a five, a six, a seven point lead. And I would scream at the TV, step on their throat and put them away. And then they'd let them come back to a one point disadvantage or even take the lead. This was the that was the frustrating thing about this game is that the opportunity to break away was there and we never seized it. Yeah, it was. And you know, you mentioned the low scoring. Sadly and you know, probably the epitome of the ending of the season, the three lowest scoring games of the entire season for the Sovereign team were the final three games of the season. Sixty three against Alabama in the tournament in the SEC tournament. 62 against Charleston and 53 against Clemson. And, you know, you you really hate to put your worst foot forward in on the biggest stage. And, you know, I, I don't think the Charleston game was horrendous. It wasn't the best game Auburn's played, and it most certainly wasn't the worst game, even excluding that Clemson loss. Um, you know, it, it just... It really was just the sum of the remaining of the season of, you know, only playing eight players and not having a strong big man that can perform on the offensive and defensive side game in and game out. And it just really, every every bit of adversity that Auburn had gone through this season just culminated at the end of the season. And whether it was just the stress of dealing with it, the, butterflies of the stage the fatigue of this season i mean we Auburn played 34 games that's that's a long season and it could have been even longer if we had a little bit more success at the end of the year and you know these are guys that aren't really used to that in in their college career yeah and aau and high school and all that kind of travel ball stuff you can play a lot of games at a lot of time but not to the talent that Auburn has played and it it just really seemed to take its toll 
and it really showed up at the end of the season. When I look at the Charleston game too, Clint, here's why it was so frustrating to me, and I talk about us not being put in way. I'm going to throw some stats at you, and one is going to just I, make I, me... I see, I see one that you're not going to be uh, happy uh, with. That's the last one I'm going to talk about because it's going to make me <laughs> mad, and I'm not going to be able to get through it if I don't talk about it. 35.6% from the field. Just for my Auburn standards this season, awful. 20.8% from three-point range. Then we talk about opportunities to put it away. You look defensively. Auburn caused 21 turnovers on Charleston. That in a, team, a team that averaged 10. Yes. Less than 10 a game, and they had 10 at the half. Yes. And here's the other part of it, too. Four blocks for Auburn, 10 steals for Auburn, you know, a decent amount of assists, 10, not you know, world-beating by anything. They didn't win the rebound battle, but they didn't lose it badly either. But then we get to this stat, Clint. It, if I've said one thing in my entire life, at least in the entire life of this show, it's one thing. You cannot underperform in this one area and expect to be able to win games consistently. 46.9% from the free... I can't even say it, Clint. I'm sick. I'm the, sick to my stomach. The what? The what, Kyle? The, fr- 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 the free throw line. <laughs> that is less than one out of every two. If you can't do the math yourself. Oh well, thank you. That is <clears throat> awful. Yeah. I have that, no words. You're gonna have to help me understand this. I mean, you even look at your starting five just on free throw attempts. Deshaun Murray, two for four. Horace Spencer, three of six. Bryce Brown, one for four. Jared Harper, three for six. When Horace Spencer outdoes you in free throws, that's a problem. I'm sorry. (laughs) I said it. Yeah. I'm getting fired Um, up again, Clint. You got to bring me back down. I can't do that. Um, You know, it it was very frustrating. Um, Come Sunday, I thought I had found a little – ray of sunshine for these numbers and it was in regards to just familiarity with the situation and the location and you know Auburn had done so well at home a place that they practice daily that these guys literally live in the arena and you know I I I ran the numbers and at home Auburn shoots 47% from the field and 41% three. And on the road, it's 41% field goals, 33% threes. And my thinking was Auburn practiced in Vigis Arena, if I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> they, Better than and I the San, <laughs> And the San Diego State University Arena, um, they practiced there Friday. They had shoot-around Saturday morning, a game Saturday night, or, I'm sorry, they practiced Thursday, shoot-around and game Friday night, practiced in this in the arena Saturday, shoot-around and game Sunday night. So that's four days to get the experience of the arena to adjust to a new place, the new sight lines. Um, you know, I think sight lines in a basketball arena are an underestimate, uh, underrated part of this tournament. Just look at the Final Four when they're played in a massive football stadium. Shooting percentages drop tremendously, and it's just, you know, depth perception and 
sight lines, you know, um, the old pre-ESPN sports science did an entire feature on this, and it's it's a real struggle for these players. And I, I just had the faith that Auburn was going to be able to play better with that familiarity of this arena. It's not – you're not coming in the night before and you might get two hours to practice around and kind of adjust yourself to it. Well, here's my problem with all that, Clint, is the great teams, it doesn't matter where they play. They find a way to deal with those shooting sight lines. They find a way to deal with the different environment in the arena. And for whatever reason, Auburn just wasn't able to do that, which is why they're not one of the best teams in the country at the at the no, end and, of all. And I agree. I agree completely with that. You know, I, I, I had tweeted, I guess, Friday during the Charleston game that at, at their best this season, Auburn was easily a Final Four caliber team. And, you know, that kind of got some laughs of just using that word easily. But, you know, I really believed it. The way that this team played at times could have very easily beaten that Clemson team and could have very well beaten Kansas if, if things had go, gone well. And But there were times, the ending of the season, that it was just – we just had to survive this game and you know Auburn wasn't a great team the last quarter of the season and that's just the truth of it well Clint do we even really want to get into details about Clemson I mean is there yeah I I do have I I do have one positive thing that I can bring out of it but I I'll kind of open the floor to you because I'll be honest with you, I've been really negative tonight, and I don't think there's really much that I can say about the Clemson game <laughs> that's going to be productive conversation. Well, I, I think from the Auburn side of it, not much is different from the last discussion, the rest of the discussion we've already had. Um, just fatigue, um, you know, what a lot of people online were calling hero ball, just guys taking it upon, itself, upon themselves to make something happen, to go one-on-one or one-on-four at times and you know i i appreciate that mentality of this is my team i need to make something happen but it wasn't it wasn't working whatsoever and the lack of relying on their teammates and having faith in their teammate like they had all season long something something broke down in the locker room on the court the score, whatever it was, something beyond the talent of this team and the fatigue of this team really just shattered come Sunday night against Clemson. And, you know, I saw a lot of negativity on Twitter that really rubbed me the wrong way of, you know, we're not even to halftime. We're probably still at the 10-minute mark of the first half. And, And I know you were pissed. I'm not directing this at you, but I saw people saying, board the plane, wade the flag, just put in the walk-ons and and just just give up. Why are you even playing the last 15 minutes? And that really pissed me off. And, you know, I think it's – you and I have had this discussion on here and privately that it's really easy to say those kind of things on social media, and that's the negative side of these platforms. Um, I think it's really ignorant when people – not just I, I'm I'm all for venting your frustration, especially in athletics, 
on a platform like that. I think it's really ignorant when pl- when people do it while tagging the Auburn men's basketball Twitter account. Yeah, that's or... just disgusting. It, it's just sad because these people don't realize that the person who runs the account has basically zero connection to the players, the coaches, the game whatsoever. They're a journalist more so than anything during the game. You saying tell the team to wake up means nothing if if they ever see it. And the disgusting part of it is when they tweet the players or you know, Dan Jell or Austin who weren't able to make the trip. That's when it gets disgusting and that was really disheartening for me of but you know, I just lose a lot of respect for those people that technically behind the back of the people who are actually putting in all the work saying things that they did. I mean, I, I agree with you that it frustrates me too. Um, but I think I, I, here's well, I, I want to go to the positive thing I found from this game, and believe it or not, there is one. But I do want to say my biggest issue with this game, as someone who is a former college basketball player. I'm aware of how much effort goes in. I'm aware of how much time commitment. I'm a, I've I've literally seen I was part of a team that was destined to be one of the best and collapsed. And it was frustrating to have that to watch that happen again and to see the same symptoms happen again, the not caring, the selfish play takeover. And you know, I, I agree with you that I don't like people tweeting directly at the the account or other players or coaches, but I I, I would say this to the players that's why I'm saying it here. I would never say anything that I'm not going to say, but I was disgusted with the play of Mustafa Heron. Um, I think he was being very selfish last night, and um, I, he's better than that. And I say that because I know he's better than that. I've seen him be better than that. You know, He's not the only one. There were other players last night that uh, were very selfish in the way they handled themselves. Um, I'm also very disappointed in the coaching staff because of there was a time to reel that in, and I never saw evidence of it being reeled in. And I just saw an entire team staff program that gave up. And not in terms of that they just let it happen to them. There were efforts there to try, but it was just a team that gave up. And that made me sick to my stomach. <clears throat> Thus, I could not watch most of the, the second half. <laughs> I, I think that that's a fair assessment. Um, I, I don't think I agree with it entirely. Um, yeah, Mustafa was very selfish and again i think that that's the taking the responsibility upon himself to make something happen but when you drive into the lane and there's four orange trees standing there you're not drawing a foul you're just make you're just making a really bad turnover and losing a possession when you've got i mean if you've got four guys crashing on you you've got three guys wide open and that needs to be done um you know i didn't see a lot of movement on the offensive side um you know very little offense was actually run by auburn i i do think you have to give clemson a ton of kudos and a ton of credit for not just how they played offensively and in transition but how good they were defensively and, and i don't just mean that by holding Auburn to 53 points and the worst shooting percentage we'll probably ever see this team ever do. But when you actually watch the game, 
the Clemson defenders were on Auburn the entire time. There was no separation between white shirts and orange shirts, and they did a perfect job switching off when they were in man. They were very tight in their zones. Um, you know, Auburn shot every single ball contested. Clemson didn't come off of the of the screens the way Auburn wanted them to, and Clemson's defense was as tight as I think I've ever seen. And you know that that alone doesn't change how Auburn performed, but that was a really big factor in it. And you know, I, I was most upset with Bryce. Um, just before halftime, there was a video posted that I'm pretty sure has gone technically viral and just, you know, maybe a minute or two left in the first half, throws up a desperation three. It doesn't go in, flails his arms, hangs his head and walked down the court when Clemson was running a fantastic fast break and Clemson had two guys in the paint to dunk the ball and Bryce hadn't even stepped over the half court line it if you told me I could have a team of hero ball players of it's all me or one player pull that move I'd rather have the former don't ever do that I I, I wish that Bruce had ripped into him right then (laughs) i hope that bryce's father who he trains with ripped into him after the game um and i love bryce he's such a fantastic player he's a great kid but that lack of effort and that body language was disgusting yeah you can be mad at mustafa all you want but that right there was the worst period the worst showcase of anything from an Auburn basketball player I have seen in many, many years. And like I said, these are things that we would say to them, not in an arrogant, you know, we're better than you because we're clear to that. We're not the ones playing. (laughs) Uh, But I think that this is very fair assessment. The reason I'm more on Mustafa is because whether he is a scoring leader or not, he is the leader of the team. And when you do that, they will follow suit. But I do see your point about Bryce as well, and I completely agree about how bad that was. And I think well, they know I it. Think, I think there's one more. Like After the Friday game against Charleston, um, Bruce was quoted saying something along the lines of, our team doesn't lose confidence when the ball doesn't fall. They don't jump on each other when they take a bad shot and they miss. And they did just that against Clemson. The Bryce hanging his head. Um, just I, I, I saw a couple of guys jawing off at each other running down the court instead of playing defense. And again, I don't know what it was, but something broke down entirely. Communication, the respect, the trust, whatever it was. Something went completely wrong from a player personnel standpoint, and that really hurt. Thus why it's the worst collapse in Auburn history. (laughs) Anyway, all right. (laughs) We've teased it. We've just delved into the negative of this. Here is the positive, and it's a huge positive thing after something we've been watching in someone's career forever. You want to take one thing from this game. 
I was impressed with the effort of Horace Spencer. Horace Spencer, in my and again, I didn't watch the second half as closely, and I probably missed a few things. But at least when things were just falling apart in the first half, I saw a guy out there laying his body out, out there doing his hardest to go up there, get rebounds, still get blocked shots. He was he scored our first two baskets, and at the rate it was going, that was going to be our only baskets in that first half. <laughs> You've got to give the man credit who lost his starting position, earned it back because of an injury has faced ridicule from probably his coaches, from his fans, for not living up to potential. I am very impressed with what I've seen him as a whole this season, but also the way he rose up as an upperclassman and tried to make something out of nothing. Yeah, I was also very impressed with Horace and very proud of his effort. Um, I mean, if you look, I know you love to look at the top three scores, and you've got Mustafa and Bryce at 12, and there's Horace at 10. Uh, Horace, Horace had nine rebounds to go along with that, so he almost had an NCAA tournament double double with the worst performance for this program's history. You know, I I think if you want to extend that beyond Horace, I think you have to get Chuma some credit too. Towards yeah. the end of the game, uh, got called for a really bad foul. Um, you know, the officiating could be another rant if we had time, but no. <laughs> um, but Chuma got called for a foul, and the Nets' defensive possession, um, I think Horace was holding up a Clemson player underneath the basket, and Chuma comes through and smats that ball into the fourth row of the stands, and you could tell he was pissed, and I loved it. That kid caring that much in, in a upwards of 41 point blowout to me said a lot about him and just earned so much more respect from me i have said it so many times this year i can't wait to see how he performs when come next year when he gets a summer under his belt gets to put on a little bit of weight and you know adjust to the weight and can actually you know play the best basketball he can play and his heart and his effort are there, and that means so much to me. He's the guy that never lost the reason that they were supposed to keep fighting once Anthony went down. It's because of yes. their connection together. If there is a guy that I'm going to look back to and say that I'm impressed with and never lost hope in, it was Horace Spencer. I'm so happy that we can say that, and I'm very encouraged for what we're going to hopefully be talking about with him next year. So that is our breakdown of the <laughs> Charleston and the Clemson debacles, and what has not been an impressive reemergence into the big dance for Auburn. But it is hopefully the beginning. It is another step in this program's hopeful, bright future. Uh, before we get out of here, Clint, let's give our contact information. You can find me on Twitter at TigerEye24. Where can they find you? You can follow me on Twitter at ClintAU24, and you can check out my website, the Auburn Uniform Database at auburnuniforms.com. And before we go, Clint, we like to always have one last question, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. Who is going to be the champion of this NCAA tournament? Oh, man. Uh, first uh, first thoughts. Uh, Loyola Chicago. Oh, you, you're, just, no. you're just full of it. <laughs> man, I, I don't have a clue. At, at this point, I think the best choice is the 
number one seed Villanova. Absolutely. I think they're the only ones left that we can count on for some sort of normalcy in this tournament. That's going to do it for this episode on the E2C Network. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into our show. A couple reminders for you listeners before we head out today. If you're interested in joining the E2C Network team, make sure you give us an email at e2cnetwork at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to discuss that with you. Also, make sure you're checking out the variety of episodes on our podcast we have coming out each week, as well as our blog post on e2cnetwork.com. Specifically, make sure you're checking out Facebook Live sessions that we have called E2C Live and Auburn Fan Chat, where you, the listener, can get involved in the show and have your voice heard. If you're interested in connecting with us and giving us feedback, there are a variety of ways to do that. First, go online to iTunes and SoundCloud and Google Play. Please subscribe there and give us reviews there as well. It helps spread the show and lets us know how we're doing. If you're looking to find us on social media, you can do so at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even YouTube. Just type in E2C Network, and that'll get you there. Once again, our email is E2Cnetwork at gmail.com and our website, E2Cnetwork.com. And I want to thank the Auburn BCM and the Auburn Uniform Database once again, and thank you, the listeners, for tuning in each and every week. It's always great to be an Auburn Tiger and War Eagle.